Welcome to this podcast. This is uh, Sveska Bildningsförbundet and ELF, a European Liberal Forum uh, Cooperation on Aging in Europe from North to South. We have three participating countries, Finland, Austria and Italy. Firstly, I'd like to ask everyone to present themselves uh, shortly. My name is Ted, Ted Urho. I'm the moderator and I work for the Think Tank Agenda. And um, we also have Anna K. Forsman with us. Would you please introduce yourself shortly? Yes, thank you, Ted. I'm Anna Forsman. I'm an associate professor in health sciences at Obo Academy University in Finland. All right. And our Austrian friends, uh, Michael and Maria, please. Good afternoon. My name is Michael Fuchs. I am from the European Center for Social Welfare Policy and Research in Vienna. Good afternoon. My name is Maria Varlamova and I am a PhD researcher and uh, at the Jagiellonian University, Krakow, Poland, and a part of uh, ITN Euroageism. And Italy, please. Okay. My name is Felix uh, Strollo. Uh, I am a doctor and opinologist. Um, uh, I've been working uh, uh, for many years in the field of uh, uh, gerontology research uh, in the institute I was uh, uh, chairing and now uh, I'm working for the um, research institute San Raffaele in Rome. My name is Gianmarco Bovenzi, I'm a lawyer and I work for the Luigi Enaudi Foundation based in Rome. Great. Um, the first topic of the day of this podcast uh, is pensions. And, and one of the things that surprised me um, as a layman in these matters was the fact that we have very, in our three countries, we have very separate ways of different ways of viewing pensions. For instance, in both Italy and Germany, uh, we have a separate pension age for men and women. And uh, as, as, as far as I know, it, we don't have that in, in Finland. So I thought we'd start with, uh, with pensions. And Anna, I would like to ask you to present some uh, general EU27 statistics on pensions, uh, what would you like to bring for, bring out? Um, firstly, just to, to um, open up this uh, topic, I would like to just uh, briefly say something about why we're discussing uh, pensions and uh, our social welfare systems and aging. And of course, um, I mean, Population with population aging, uh, we we have a number of challenges for our welfare systems and also our public finances in the EU. And uh, looking at the EU member states uh, and our spend spendings, uh, we can say that more than a quarter of of our GDP in total. Uh, are spent on social protection, and most part of it. Uh, is for the benefit of older people in the form of pensions, but also in the form of health and long-term care. And with the economic recession periods we've seen, uh, of course, these has um, have left us has left us with large public deficits and a huge public debt burden 
at a time when the large post-war cohorts are entering their 60s and they're uh, starting to retire from the labor market. So this is a very timely topic, of course. And uh, one of the key questions across the EU member states is, in my opinion, how these achievements can be maintained, achievements uh, related to social uh, welfare and the aging population, how these can be maintained in the current, current economic and demographic context. And um, in general, looking at the EU member states, the most um, general retirement age is 65 years. But we, we can also see a trend of um, raising the national retirement age uh, in many member states. And for example, in both Germany and France, uh, they are about to raise their retirement age from 65 to 67 years, years. And also in Great Britain and Ireland, the goal is to raise the retirement age to 68 years in a few years. And um, increasingly also the retirement age is being linked to the life expe expectancy rate. And this is the case in the Nordic countries, for example, but also other European countries. This is uh, some things that I would like to, to highlight to start with, and also the, the differences between men and women and their retirement age uh, for some countries. But we're going to, to come back to that, I, I guess. All right, the floor is open. Who would like to start with thoughts? Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Anna, for this introduction. Yeah, Austria, as you mentioned already, the differences between uh, the pension, uh, the, the regular pension age between men and women. So I think Austria is one of the last countries where the pension age will be equalized. So we start only as so far we have uh, 65 years for men and 60 years for men, uh, for women. And uh, with the equalization, we start only in 2024, which goes about uh, six months per year. And so it will only be completed in by the end of 2033. So the, the uh, birth cohort of 1968 will be the, the, the first female cohort who has also the retirement age of 65 years. And uh, the strange thing was that in Already in 1992, it was uh, set up as a constitutional law that uh, this equalization will take place so late as in order this was a, a political decision. So that is uh, also later difficult because you need uh, a majority of, of two thirds in, in the parliament. And so it's, it's also difficult, of course, and, and no one uh, got the majority or no one even tried uh, that this equalization will take place earlier. And I think from a neutral point of view, of course, you can still say it's still maybe difficult for elder women, especially to find a job. But still, I think Austria is now, I think there's only a few examples like Kazakhstan or so, but let's say in Western Europe, everyone has already equalized or is at least uh, uh, has completed sooner than Austria does. And I think somehow it's not to the advantage of women and, and uh, from my point of view, it would have been better to start this uh, equalization more early. So maybe in between, I stop here uh, for other comments. Thank you. 
Felix, would you like to comment? Well, I think that uh, the the, uh, the the solution uh, is better anyway. Uh, is a good one. What I think is that uh, Gianmarco has studied the the topic better than I did, so probably he should comment better. Okay, Gianmarco, please. Yes, thank you, Felix, for giving me the word. So basically, in Italy, everything um, has to comply with the constitutional right that we have uh, to uh, welfare support. So basically, our whole pension system also for, in cases of old age, has to comply with such constitutional and fundamental right. The, the story, I would say, yeah, of, of the Italian pension system is quite troubled throughout the years and quite winding. It changed a lot of times. Since 1994, we have what is so-called a contributory pen- pension system, this meaning that um, those who are retired contribute to the pension system proportionally and in line of the salary they've had throughout their working years. Um, currently, the, the enforced law, it's the, the law that is so-called uh, quota 100 or 100 quota. 100 is, is the number, is actually the sum between the age of the retired person and the years of seniority. So this means that the age must be 62 years uh, combined with 38 years of seniority. There's also a possibility of an early pensions for those having at least 42 years and 10 months of seniority for men and 41 years and 10 months for women. Um, so despite the, this uh, different age for, uh, for men and women, I would say that the Italian pension systems has a potential flaw in the future since Italy has an ever-growing aging uh, population and as also as data show, Italy has one of the lowest birth rates worldwide. And this is quite a worrying situation and in the next decades uh, it is forecasted also that there will be a higher number of aging populations compared to today. So obviously there's surely a challenge to be a challenge to be addressed in the future also in light of the consideration that the current um, uh, young population so tomorrow's elder, elder people and tomorrow's contributors um, are there's a high rate of unemployment for our youth generation so basically data show how there's nearly a 30% of unemployment for 15 24 years cluster and uh, 15% plus a 26% of inactivity for people aging between 25 and 34 years. So it is not difficult actually to understand how this might represent uh, actually a challenge for the future because these people that today are currently unemployed will be tomorrow's people who will have to contribute to the pension system. So the risk is actually a lack of finances and of resources. So I would say that, yes, in Italy, this is definitely an issue. So, so in order to reform the pension system or, or to sustain it, what would, you need to, what would you need to do in Italy, for instance? Well, I would say that policymakers should try as much as they can to foster the, um, 
they should try and, and, and uh, interrupt the negative trend of unemployment. So this is fundamental. Um, policies addressing youth employment are essential because they will obviously have a, a, a drawback in the future on the whole pension system and its effectiveness, its efficiency. The whole system could collapse uh, in lack of adequate policies about employment. And other problem in Italy is obviously this difference between naturalized and natives. But I don't know if this is a topic we'll deal with later on, or shall I? We can go. go we can talk about that now if you want. Well, yes. Basically, so there's a there's a sort of shift in the middle age um, diagram, basically, because today the 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 most part of the elders people are natives, while comparatively and proportionally. Uh, there's a lot of naturalized Italian in their middle ages. This meaning that in the future, those naturalized being in the middle ages now will be obviously future elder people, which are entitled as well to the constitutional right of uh, of welfare. And so this is another challenge to be addressed because obviously naturalized have um, to have as well, the, the they have to contribute as well to the pension system And so policies also in this case should be tailored on actually the participation of, of, of um, naturalized residents in Italy in order that the system once again will not collapse in the future. So it, it is necessary as well, this. All right. Any thoughts on this uh, from uh, Anna or Maria? Uh, thank you. Thank you for these uh, brilliant uh, contributions to this discussion. Um, I could just, from the Nordic perspective, say a few words about our flexi flexible retirement age system, because in both Finland, uh, but also in Sweden, for example, uh, we have a flexible retirement age, with, which means that you can choose uh, when uh, you retire. And uh, at this point in time, we have a... Um, a year uh, a retirement age from 63 years and nine months or 64 years and 68 years and that's for the earnings related retirement and then we also have a national pension which is 65 years of age when you start that and um, here the plan is uh, looking at the national policies to raise this uh, retirement age Uh, until it is 65 years or higher uh, in 2027. So we will raise our retirement age here in Finland. And uh, then the retirement age will be closer linked to the life expectancy. And uh, in, in general, if we're looking at the challenges and what we would need to, to do in order to, to sustain... Uh, Uh, or in order for social sustainability when it comes to the to the systems and uh, preventing the systems to collapse, uh, I would say it is important to support a prolonged working career uh, regarding the older workers. And this is also something that we uh, currently raise in the public debate, but also in the in the policy uh, policymakers discussions in Finland. Also if I, if I may add a few words 
for Austria on this uh, uh, general situation of the pension system. As I, I fully agree with Anna and, and, and John Marco that uh, the most important issue is, of course, that you bring the elderly into employment. Because if you don't succeed in this, then all the pension reforms, and of course it could be cheaper that instead of pensions, then the people receive unemployment benefits or social assistance benefits or whatever. But of course, the only useful thing would be that instead of pensioners, you have still uh, employed people. And uh, here also Austria is somehow between the, the two cornerstones between financial sustainability of the pension system and adequacy of the pension system. Also we have very high pension expenditure is already close to 14% of GDP, which I think is the second highest or third highest rate across Europe. And it's forecasted that about uh, 2035, 2040, this will increase even to 15% of GDP. And in Austria, there's always a discussion, can we still finance the pensions? Yes or no, but I think it's the wrong discussion. Of course, I think basically we will always be able to finance pensions. The question is, isn't it better to use the money uh, for other political issues? So if, if the pensions expenditure increases, then of course a lot of other policy areas are crowded out. You have less money available. For, for these issues or the, the whole uh, government debt will increase. And of course, uh, this is not the, the right way to go. So I would also argue to, to try to set some reform measures still uh, to somehow at least stop the increase. And in Austria, the strategy so far is, which is anyway a positive strategy, but we were not too successful now, is of course to close these early retirement paths. But still, this is a stop and go strategy by the government. So two years ago or one year ago, they still opened another uh, early retirement paths for long term. Ensured they can now retire with 62 without any deductions. Now it's said again in from 2022 on, this regulation will again be reformed. But it's somehow strange and also not good that you uh, one year you go a step forward and the next year you go a step back. So I think there, there needs to be a clear strategy. And then still we have a problem, of course, with the invalidity pensions. So still too many people retire early because they cannot continue with working. But here it's very difficult because Austria has this more this kind of repair mechanism, but less focus on, on prevention or early intervention. And here much more should be done in the direction of prevention and early intervention. But I know it's, it's, it's easier to say than uh, to do in practice. And the last remark I want to say, despite this high expenditure in Austria and this on average also high uh, average pensions, you see this also in this one indicator by the OECD called the pension wealth. This is also very high in Austria and in European comparison. But still we have, a, the, the pension system has a low progressivity. So still, despite this high expenditure, despite this high average pensions, Still, we have many people who are at risk of poverty in old age, and especially for those who have interrupted careers, they are at risk. And especially, this is also, I think, a political issue now, that especially now for the younger generations, for, for, for them it's so difficult to enter the labor market, to find stable employment. And now with our pension regulations, they would be really at risk. Uh, then in old age, that uh, the pension entitlements do not suffice to prevent them from poverty. Thank you. Um, what would be the message for policymakers on pensions in Europe? Quite a e <laughs> simple and, and, and easy question there, I think. Well, as, as Miguel also said, <clears throat> I think it's essential to address the issue with a prevention approach 
like preventing is better than curing how how we used to say and so this probably would mean uh, give uh, crucial importance to the this uh, unemployment youth unemployment tax aspect in order not to risk uh, a future collapse in terms of effectiveness and of financial sustainability of the pension system this is my idea uh, and i don't know uh, if if it's shared by uh, other colleagues here i don't know of course it's uh, of, of course it is shared by me but of course also because whenever you you think to try and uh, prolong as much as possible uh, work life uh, then you have uh, some work places that, that are anyway uh, taken by the older and then where does the young come in? And so how can he uh, be prepared for a good pension while the older is still earning something to, uh, to help the younger to leave? So it's something that has nonsense, you know? I agree, yeah. How, uh, how common is it in, in Austria or in Italy to have a, a private pension plan? Where you where you put away of your own money during uh, from your salary, it, like in a in a special bank account, these sort of uh, arrangements. Do you have that in Italy? Uh, I don't know if Doctor Strollo he might correct me if I'm saying something uh, uh, untrue, but it's not that common in Italy actually. Um, there are obviously, um, let's say, private. I would I would call them private in brackets. Uh, private pension systems for professionals, for example, doctors, lawyers, all for those uh, autonomous workers that have also separate pensions. But I, I, I don't know if we could call this as actually a private pens pension system or rather a public pension system uh, organized in a different way. I would say it's more a public pension system organized differently because... It's compulsory for doctors and for lawyers and for other categories of professional, obviously, to join their own uh, pension uh, uh, entities, institutions. But they're not really private. So, of course, there are private possibilities, but it's it's quite uncommon here in Italy. Uh, what do you think, uh, Dr. Strollo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, really, the, that's the situation. So, I agree. Also in Austria, uh, the case is that we still very much rely on the first pillar, which is the public PSA Go uh, pension pillar, and both the second pillar, this company pensions, and this third pillar, private pensions, are somehow weakly uh, developed. But maybe if you look back at the financial crisis and at the low interest rates, this might even be an advantage for Austria. But I'm not sure, for example, the World Bank recommended to all the Eastern European countries to reform the pension system and have a, a, a second funded pillar. So I'm not sure if the if the fare so well with now with this second pillar. So this the, the first remark and for the general conclusions or recommendations, I would say uh, the most important is, as I said already, a careful balance between this uh, adequacy of pensions and the financial sustainability of pension. And as already stressed by the colleagues, I think uh, a, a very important political, 
political topic is now this kind of intergenerational fairness. Of course, we have to uh, secure that uh, the old people do not take too much out of, of the budgets on the cost of the younger generations. Yeah? But on the other hand, it's a bit difficult. As, as we said already, uh, most important would be some kind of uh, also to secure employment for the, for the elderly. And this is a general question. If this can be secured, also taking now, also we came later to it, this digitalization and all these uh, developments. So the question is also in the future, do we still have enough jobs for everybody or do we need another solution? But maybe this is, is, a, is a topic for later. And one thing I want to say, of course, the difficult thing with the pensions, of course, that the pensions are a very populistic topic uh, because most voters or let's say very as many voters are in, 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 in elder age. So above, let's say, 50, which are either already in retirement or close to retirement. And of course, for political parties, it's very difficult to announce a pension reform because then the risk may be that they lose the next election. So, but somehow I think the pensions should be taken out of this populistic corner. And then, of course, you should find uh, some sustainable solutions. But it's, as I said, it's easier to say or easier to recommend than to do in practice. Thank you. Thank you for participating in this podcast and thank you for listening. 